Our featured guest for today is Nisha. So Nisha founded a non-profit organisation called Mental Act, which stands for Advocacy, Care and Train, along with her fiancé, Devon. So hi, Nisha. Hello. Thanks hi, for Nicole. joining us today. Thank you for having me. So I think we can start off with a bit of an introduction from you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, my name is Nisha. I am a full-time counsellor at a different social service agency. That's my day job, right? And apart from that, um, David and I co-founded Mental Act about a few years ago in 2017. So Mental Act is a non-profit organization that hopes to address the concerns and issues in mental health, uh, largely in our Indian community. So we're not exclusive for the Indian community, but um, our largely our focus is for the Indian community. And um, a lot of the work we do is around the three pillars, A, C and T, advocacy, meaning we create awareness about mental health related issues in the Indian community in Singapore. Care is our second pillar. So we do care related work, meaning we do like support systems, um, bring together networks of professionals in the Indian community. We run a 24-7 crisis hotline and we do other Uh, programs and initiatives to create more support for people with um, lived experience, uh, mental health lived experience, as well as caregivers or people who kind of um, need support, uh, trying to reach out, right? And then we have the last pillar, T for train, that is us trying to train more individuals to be more educated, to feel more empowered, to address mental health concerns in the community, right? Whether it's identifying common mental health problems, um, running mental health first aid. If you see someone outside and you think that they need help, you know, instead of running away, we can feel a bit more confident to go up and support them in ways that we know. And, you know, being basically someone who's a little bit more aware and um, trained and empowered uh, to provide resources in the community. So that's the three pillars under Mental Act. And that's kind of uh, the work that we strive to do. Cool. Great summary. I just want to say that you have a very soothing voice. I feel very calm and at ease speaking with you. (laughs) Um, Maybe share with me first how you and Devan came about with this initiative? Okay, so it's a nice story, all right? Um, it started with, I think, us meeting each other, mm. right? So it's a part so of the... So it's a love story. Yes, technically, it's still, it's part of the love story. Um, so we met in 2016 and we were volunteering for the same uh, youth organization in the Indian community. And we realized that we both were very passionate about mental health in particular, Right, But then we realized that we came across the same challenges, which is whenever we were interested to kind of promote or initiate a project related to mental health, um, getting approval from you know, leaders in the voluntary organizations, in youth organizations, in Indian organizations was very challenging. There was a lot of stigma. Right. Uh, there were incidents where they say, oh, no, it's a, quite of a risky topic to talk about. Why not you talk about mental wellness? Why not you talk about like yoga? Maybe you talk about physical health. You know, you can do something on maybe diabetes, but never anything that directly addressed mental health as it is. So that was very discouraging for us. And we thought, OK, maybe it's time we started something on our own. So our initial idea was to just do a symposium. 
to just do a one-off event that addresses mental health concerns, creates some awareness, and that's about it. But as we started um, talking to more people about our event, our idea, we realized that there was much more of a pressing issue in the community, and that was mental health at large. So we put a few things together and realized, okay, why not we start something proper? And that's when the whole idea for Mental Act came about. We wanted to be an organization, a support system for people to come to us and know that we're there for them and we can take care of them and we will provide as much as we can. Yeah, mm, It's a really lovely story. Oh, thank you. Let's <laughs> talk a bit about mental health mm-hmm. as a whole. So I think you are personally an expert on mental health, having worked Mm. with a social service agency as a counsellor, right? mm. So could you maybe start off by defining some terms for us? Because I think the talk around mental health can be a little bit Mm. confusing. I think there are a lot of terms like mental health, mental wellness, mental illness, you know, being thrown around. So can you break down the differences between those terms first and what are some other like common terminologies that are used? Okay, so this is a really good question as well. It's a really good concept that... At Mental Act, we really try to advocate and emphasize. There are three main terms, right? Mental health, mental illness, and mental wellness. Now, if you look at collaterals, if you look at projects we have outside, not just in the Indian community, but generally in Singapore, um, a lot of the advocacy work goes around mental wellness. Mm. We don't usually use the word mental health, or mental illness as commonly as we use the word wellness because very generally, wellness has a more positive tone to it. It's less daunting. Mm. It's less scary, yep. right? And uh, people are much more comfortable in talking about wellness, right, than to con- talk about health, to talk about illness. But mental health is a spectrum. And under mental health, There are different ways in which we can identify. Either we are mentally ill, meaning that we need intervention, we need medical help, clinical help, right? We are diagnosed with a condition. We could be mentally well, meaning that we are keeping ourselves together, we are functioning well, our mental health, our mental stability, our emotional stability is on par, and we generally feel quite healthy mind-wise, right? That's mentally well. And then there is the most of us who is always drifting between mentally well and mentally ill. That's Mm. our different daily stresses, you know, going through an anxiety attack occasionally or having some difficulty with certain aspects of our life. And that causes us to be a little bit more um, uptight or a little bit more tightly wired, right? So there is never one particular state Right. I think in our lives, we all drift along depending on where we are, which stage of life we're in. So it's a spectrum, but entirely the term is mental health. Another way people who don't feel comfortable saying I'm mentally ill, right? another common term that is people with lived experience with mental illness. Mm. Right. A brave people are much more comfortable these days talking about their mental health. Mm. Right. But I find it really odd when people ask, um, do you have mental health issues? Mm. So I'm like it's just like me asking you, do you have a physical health issue? 
it's really broad, right? So, so it it becomes a little bit odd. So I think it's important that we learn how to use these terms and are aware that it's not interchangeable mm. relatively, right? But being more aware makes our intent a little bit more um, clearer in that sense. Mm. Yeah. So these are the three main terms that I think we all should be a little bit more clearer about. Mm. I really like everything you just said. Mm-hmm. I think everything is super... The way you phrased it was really, really excellent. Mm-hmm. I want to touch on maybe two points. I okay. think the first thing is that I really like what you said about um, that we're always in a state of moving between wellness and illness yes. is not a fixed kind of state. I think that's, I would assume, something that people kind of either overlook or they do, it doesn't occur to them. And I think it didn't really occur to me until you said it mm. yourself. Mm. That's the first thing. I think mm-hmm. the second thing is you were talking about how some of these terminologies can be quite scary yeah i think when people hear mental illness they immediately like oh you know that's mm. i i don't want to associate myself with that mm. or i don't think i'm mentally ill yeah. right so that leads me to my question i think i want to know um your time as a counselor and a founder of mental act what are some of the stigmas that you have faced um mm. Or even, you know, some of the experiences that you might have gone through personally. Mm. I think it's something that um, I would put as a lot of generational stigma. It is passed on from parents, from grandparents, from the media, from the kind of resources that we are exposed to, the kind of education system we have, so on and so forth. How, you know, the society at large views mental health Mm. and to be very honest i think over maybe the past three to five years we are progressive Mm. in that stand but prior to that it was challenging right um i still do have a lot of clients and mental act do have a lot of clients and participants who find it difficult to come forth to seek help because of the stigma tied to the whole topic of mental health Right, because we don't want to be, like you said very accurately, we don't want to be identified as someone with an illness, someone who is disadvantaged, mm. you know, um, health-wise. Right. Similarly, I would assume with physical health. But I think when we say talk about something like cancer or heart failure or something terminally ill, like like tumors or something, right? We are a lot more outspoken about mm. it we are much more forgiving forgiving yes and we are much more confident and aware and um willing to seek help as compared to if we find something mentally wrong with us right we would battle and deal with some kind of anxiety attack or um overload on stress we would suppress it we would be in denial and we will just never want to talk about it, right? So that is like a huge stigma because we don't know or we are more of afraid of what people would say. It becomes a lot more daunting, right? Because I think it, it um, what's the word? A lot of times our mental capacity is associated with how functional we are. Mm. It's sometimes in your in your you know forms, registration, in, in your application for a job that says, Okay, how is your mental health like? How do you deal with stress? Right? It's a common interview question. How do you deal with stress? Mm. I can't can't go there and say that I have a full blown panic attack for two hours whenever I'm stressed. That clearly means I'm not gonna get the job. Mm. Right? We are deemed as very 
dysfunctional. And so I would rather keep a job than tell my superior or tell my boss or tell my colleagues that I have trouble functioning in this kind of situations. Um, another very important one is institutionalization. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you know IMH, Institute of Mental Health, it holds a lot of stigma mm-hmm. in our country. It is ironically the only institution where we can um, get very specific mental health intervention and treatment. We have a lot of stigma seeking help from there. And, you know, even if you speak to a commoner, an everyday person, or, you know, have you been to IMH before? Do you know what it's like inside? It's always, oh, it looks like prison. Mm. You know, these are very, very common um, fears that we all hold. And no one is to be blamed for it. But again, I think generationally, right, it is something that has caused that trauma and that fear in people. Mm. Yeah. I'm wondering if there's any personal kind of experience that you have gone through yourself that where you have seen these kinds of stigmas play out? Mm, Personally, yes. With a lot of my clients who uh, struggle to seek help, right? a lot of times it's the fear of who's going to know? Where is this information going? Right? And they would sit you know, and, and mule over it for days and weeks and months, uh, not wanting to seek help because we are so afraid as to who's going to know and how is it going to impact me in the future. So um, I've had times where I would have to try to sit and educate a lot of clients, right? Even if I have young clients who are a lot more aware and willing to seek help, right? Because of their age, they might need parental permission. So then I would have to take the time to educate their parents and reassure them that, no, it's not going to affect your child's life in the future. This is confidential, so on and so forth, before that, before they can even embark on seeking help for themselves. So it can be a journey just getting to the point of seeking help because of all the reassuring that needs to happen prior to that. Mm. On that note, mm. I want to know, um, because we're talking about the first step is education mm. and awareness, right? Mm. And then I would assume that the second step would be if, let's say, you are experiencing a certain kind of mental stress mm-hmm. or anxiety or condition mm-hmm. to act on it, right? Mm-hmm. So how do we encourage people to act on it? And mm. how should we have that kind of conversation with the people in our lives and our family, for instance, our friends, mm. the people that we love. How do we kind of tell them that it's... I, I think not only tell them that it's okay, but to tell yourself also that, you know, if you are struggling to go and seek help. Yeah. I think this starts with early identification, right? Being able to observe and notice the small things amongst people around us, right? So talking about friends and family or colleagues, noticing changes in their behavior, changes in their responses, their presence, right? Even things like how they carry themselves, their Mm. attire, you know, whether they're late, they're early, you know, how they look and how they interact with you on a daily basis, basis, right? If we are able to pick up on these things, um, it makes it easier to have conversation. Right, because that makes it easier for me to go up to someone and say, hey, you know, I realized in the past week or in the past two weeks, you seem to be coming to, to work quite late, right? Is everything okay? 
right? Or if like a brother or sister of yours is always stuck in his room every day and not wanting to come out for meals. You know, just knocking on the door and asking, hey, are you okay? Because I haven't seen you much this week. You know, is everything okay? How's school? Mm. You know, um, I heard that you have some assignment coming up. How has that been going? Right, just starting conversation. It starts with confidence and concern on our end, Mm. right? If we feel very intrusive, if we feel like it's not our place to be asking these questions or showing care and concern, then we'd come across as very hesitant. Mm. And people wouldn't feel safe around us, right? The key is holding space for the people around us. The key is holding space for whoever we think would need that support. So if we feel confident and we are a bit clear as to where our concern is coming from and we are genuine in that intent, right, it becomes easier to have these conversations. We don't have to push it the first time. We can always be like, okay, right, I I trust that you're all right. And if you ever need to talk about anything, I'm here for you, right? Even if I don't know how to help you, I'm here to help you figure it out. Mm. And that helps. That helps a whole lot. You don't have to be trained. You don't have to have a script. You don't have to go through practices in order to have these conversations. It's just genuine in your own dialect, in your own colloquial way of doing it, in the most chill way you think is possible. Anything is fine. Mm. Right. And and that would help. I want to touch a bit about... um how society, I guess, approaches the talk of mental health in mm. general. Because we're talking about conversations, right? Yeah. And how you should speak to people who you think might be going through something. Mm. I'm wondering if there's... Uh, would you think that um, the way in which we're talking about mental wellness or mental health now mm. is needs to be corrected? And how should we talk about it as a society? I think there has been a lot of progress mm. in recent years. But yes, I agree that there's a lot more that we can do, right? And like I previously mentioned, confidence and care is two really good um, elements and traits to bring into these conversations. You know, at Mental Act, we believe that a lot of times why our society or, you know, even individuals are scared or not willing to have these conversations, even when you know that someone is actually going through something, Mm. It's because we're very scared on f- what response we're going to hear back. Yep. What if someone just breaks down and tells you that, no, I've been having a really bad time. So many things are going wrong and blah, blah, blah. Then you're like, okay, now what? Mm. You know, I just opened a Pandora's box. I just opened a can of worms and I have no idea what to do with it. Oh, no. So that's sometimes what that kind of, you know, shifts the conversation or kind of shakes the conversation um, and makes it difficult. So a lot of times society at large needs to feel a bit more comfortable with the whole concept of mental health. It's nothing to be afraid of. You don't have to be trained. You don't have to be a professional to hold space. It's true. Right. Mm. So as a society, I think the first step we need to do is we need to embrace and accept and be more open about um, what mental health is and what it isn't. Right. And feel a little bit more empowered and brave about having these conversations to have it more spontaneously, to have it more regularly. Mm. Right. And that at a large would make a huge impact as a society. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Okay. Cool. 
so let's talk a bit about mental acts. Mm. So I understand that you guys are unique in that you cater quite specifically to the Indian community. Maybe you can share a bit more about why you feel like this is an important aspect of mental acts and how do you provide the support that you're providing them now with? Mm. So, first of all, because David and I are Indians, right? So, growing up in an Indian family, being surrounded largely by Indian friends growing up, Indian family members, we realized how difficult it uh, it was for us to talk about mental health, mm. right? And then we realized it was difficult to reach out to people who we thought had trouble managing their mental health, right? And it became very real, right? So then we wonder if it's so difficult for our own family or our own group of friends, our own network and social circles to talk about it, then that shows how difficult it is as a community to talk about it. And, you know, when we have, like, chit-chats with friends and we try to bring up this topic and we realize that, yes, it's something common in all our families and in all of our communities, regardless of the ethnic differences, right? Um, it was a common challenge that the Indian community um, faced and there were different inputs to it, like religious inputs, mm. right? Spiritual inputs, um, supernatural inputs to it, mm. right? Things like that. Right? I'm wondering if you can give me like an example of what these kind of inputs sound like. Okay, so so um, sometimes if we have a friend who is not doing well, having a panic attack or anxiety attack, or just really uncomfortable um, mentally, their family or closed ones would easily assume that, oh, she's possessed with something. Mm. You know, the first thing may not be that, okay, she's anxious or she's having an anxiety attack. It could be the fact that I think something possessed her. Mm. She went out late at night last night. Mm. You know, she brought home something. That's why. Or religiously, oh, she is, you know, if you're going through a a troubled time, and we've seen this with many of our young clients as well, they tell us, I can't talk to my mom about my mental health. I can't. Why? Because if I tell my mom that I'm stressed, she'll tell me to go and pray about it. Mm. You know, she'll tell me I'm lazy. She'll tell me this is just an excuse to get, through work mm. or get through school you know um, it's probably because of your karma mm. right you you did something bad to someone and now it's hitting you back yep. I'm not negating and I'm not neglecting the fact that these um, religious input spiritual input supernatural input is is wrong or not real right it is in its own way and form it is but a lot of times it becomes convenient mm. to bunch it up together and deal with it just one particular way. All I'm saying is if we're open to look at it differently, we might be able to address the problem differently. Mm. Cool. So let's talk a bit about um, 2020 as a year. I think with the pandemic, a lot of people were kind of coining it as all the fallout of the pandemic to be like a mental health pandemic, right? Mm. Following COVID-19. And I understand that you guys also operate like a 24-7 crisis hotline during Mm. circuit breaker, which is very admirable. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you can be there for somebody 24-7. I think it takes a lot Mm -hmm. of emotional strength. So really respect you guys for that. Tell me a bit about how COVID period was like for you guys. And yeah, were there any concerns and worries for the people who are already in your organizations? Did you see like 
uh, more intake of individuals who needed help. How was that like for you? Mm. So before COVID-19, meaning that just one month, probably in January in 2020, right? We had a lot of um, ideas and we had a lot of plans for Mental Act in 2020. But when COVID um, came in, we realized that we were very, very disabled in terms of manpower, in terms of restrictions, and the kind of ways we can provide support. But we also realized that very quickly the demand to address mental health needs was growing. Right, I think it started because mental health uh, services was not considered essential mm. at the beginning of Circuit Breaker. And that became very difficult with people with existing conditions for seeking help, people who were suddenly asked to stay home with your immediate family, your nuclear family. And that became very difficult for many people because that's where you have domestic violence. Mm. Family violence cases were on the rise. And as much as it is a more of a legal issue or more of a family, um, you know, family-related issue, it was a lot a mental health issue as well. And um, we realized that we had to be on board and we had to figure out a way because this is where this community needs us and we needed to step up. So that's when David and I decided, okay, we needed to create a hotline. People need to reach us when they need us. So that's when we did that. Uh, it was ironically... The, the day right before the national hotline came up. So when the national hotline came up, we were like, oh, now we have doubled the services. Like there's two of the same thing. Would people still call us? Mm. Right? Maybe they'll prefer the national hotline because, you know, that's government run and probably they have more resources that way. But no, people did call us and we received a lot of calls. We re received a lot of DMs on Instagram, text messages, and we were busy. We were able to support a lot of individuals either through like phone counseling, befriending, um, doing Zoom calls with them. There were even a few cases where we had to go down to um, accompany them to IMH, you know, because they were really, really um, in need of physical support, right? There were a few suicide um, cases we had to attend to so one of us had to be on the phone while the other person rushed to the to the spot mm. to make sure that the person is safe so on and so forth so there were a lot of people who turned for help and that's when we realized that if you are willing to provide support people will come right because it's the accessibility mm. yeah mm. okay how Okay, I have a couple of questions mm -hmm. that I want to follow up with. I think that one that we can talk about later is about how, I guess, you manage your own mental health mm -hmm. because I think that it must be very heavy mm. to constantly be... I don't want to use the word... It's not really burdened, but, you know, mm. to be absorbing some of these emotions, mm. I think. Mm. But I think let's talk about um, mental act mm. first. I think mm. it's really amazing what you guys are doing. Mm -hmm there was a virtual symposium that you guys mm. held last year in October. Yeah. So tell me a bit about that because I understand that you guys held a very successful mm. symposium with over 200 participants. Mm -hmm. So share with me a bit about what that symposium was about and what were some of the outcomes that you achieved. Okay. So like I said, initially before 2020, the plan was to just do a face-to-face -face, uh, physical event. So when the year came, we were really excited then Circuit Breaker hit and we knew 
we will never be doing a physical event in the near future. So then um, our team was very strong. Our team is very innovative. So we started brainstorming on what we could do and we planned for a virtual event. We honestly did not think that they would buy our idea because we were like, this is ridiculous. Who would want like, you know, a month of uh, mental health related programs but they were interested. They were on board. And that's when we said, okay, now someone believes in us. We have to do this. Okay. So we got to work. We didn't have a lot of time to work on it. I think we had about two months. Our team worked extremely hard, right? Day and night. We had very good um, subject matter experts who came on board from different organizations, different collaborators and partners. We had people like from um, Uga Chaga, we had uh, people from SOS, uh, we had people from other private counselling and mental wellness practices. Through their support, we were able to do a full month of panels and workshops on mental health. So it ran over four Saturdays last October and we would start with a panel session in the morning. Right, We had topics like um, intergenerational trauma and mental health, mm. religion and mental health. Um, intersectionality and mental health, family violence and mental health. So we had a panel of speakers and a moderator who would uh, talk about this, you know, and provide insights, resources, and um, challenge people's perspectives and thoughts on these topics. And then followed by that, after a quick lunch break, we would have uh, workshops, uh, suicide intervention workshops, um, how do you identify addiction and mental health? Mm. Um, self-care workshops, you know, yoga, uh, breathing exercises. So we covered the whole spectrum from mental illness to mental wellness. And it was great. I think the turnout was much better than what we had expected. We were like, I think if 50 people turn up, we'll be happy. But we had over 200 people over the entire month who signed up, who participated, and who benefited. Uh, we also were able to establish collaboration with many partners who later continued partnerships even into 2021. And we have continued these conversations in different modes and mediums in 2021 as well. So it was a great event that way. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. It was just just for the sake of this recording, I wanted mm. to sh- I wanted to say that I think it takes a lot to organize a virtual event. Mm. And the fact that you guys managed to do it over four Saturdays, I think is very impressive. Yes. The stamina. Yes. The team. The team uh worked really, really hard. It, it I looked at it and I was like, Oh my god, we are actually doing this. Mm. It was it was it was a good experience and a lot of the credit goes to the team who held it down throughout the entire month. Mm. Yeah. What are some like positive types of feedback that you guys receive from some of the participants beyond I mean them like joining you? It was mm. there like an increase of awareness mm. on like mental health in general. Yeah. So the feedback we received was generally very positive. We uh we had people telling us that they felt a little bit more comfortable mm-hmm. having conversations around mental health. We had people sharing their experiences over feedback with us. You know, um, we even had a few people who felt a little bit more empowered to seek help for their own mental health stresses or for their family or to to just, you know, want to go on board and learn more about mental health. So I think this first flagship event was really about setting the scene 
mm. and making it comfortable to have these conversations and also to help people see that, hey, there is help if you need. Mm. So what is Mental Act working on for 2021? What are some things that we can look forward to? We are working on another flagship event for October 2021. Mm. Um, a lot of ideas on the table spoiled for choice so we are going to try and work with the little bit of leniency in the restrictions so we are hoping maybe mm. we could do something partially virtual maybe part partially um uh in person and then we're doing other kinds of support groups we are developing our research panel this year so we are hoping to put out more publications we are putting out more book reviews we are hoping to do more uh, videos and online work uh, things like that so a lot of things installed we have a bigger um, committee this year we just onboarded a good 20 volunteers last month so um, a bigger team a lot more passionate and we are hoping to just push out a lot more this year mm. yeah. sounds very exciting yes it is <laughs> I want to touch a bit about go back to a bit about um, your story mm. starting Mental Act mm, I think one thing that we we kind of touched on just now was the idea that I think talking about mental health issues can be quite heavy mm. I'm wondering how do you ensure that you stay mentally resilient mm. or to take care of your own mental health mm. um, it is a challenge right despite the number of people and the number of clients that I see, um, whether it's my full-time job or whether it's mental act, it can get very strenuous. It can mm. get very draining. So it takes a lot. It takes a village, honestly. Mm. So um, I spend a lot of time unloading Mm. And I spend a lot of time with myself. Uh, I think it helps that David and I are both in the profession. So we kind of understand each other better. And sometimes we know that we just have to take a break, right? Um, we try to organize outings with friends, just tea or coffee and talking about things. And uh, we try not to do work solo, we try not to fly solo. We always have someone else so that no one is holding the load individually, right? And that provides a support system for us. So in the event that we need more hands on board, we are all prepped and ready. And you also don't feel more very drained mm. because... Um, it, it becomes difficult in the long run to sustain. Yep. You know, it becomes very short-lived, the kind of work we can do if we don't take care of ourselves. So that's a huge part of uh, mental health advocacy and volunteering for such a cause is you really need to prioritise yourself at some times. Mm. So I guess the other question is, what keeps you motivated? Oh. <laughs> I like this question. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think many reasons. First of all, it is the people that we can reach out to. Knowing that you make a difference, knowing that just holding space for someone could be huge is very inspiring. You know, I've had clients whose life has turned around because of consistent and regular intervention you know being able to support them through that journey is very humbling being able to talk someone out of doing something irrational something drastic something scary 
and later being there to see them change their life around, see them see a better side of things, see them take a different direction in life is so beautiful. And that is something that really keeps us going. The kind of comments and messages and texts we get, the kind of community support we get when we have organizations and community leaders who believe in the work we do, that is very encouraging. Um, our team, right, I must say, and I emphasize this a lot, as the team goes above and beyond to make sure that we can push our cause, right? Initially, it was David and I, but once we had a team behind us, we don't do much, you know, we just drive things, we try to get it from point A to point B, but most of the work is done by the team. And their effort and their, um, their, their energy pushes us. You know, when you receive a text from a teammate at like 3 a.m. saying that, hey, I've just worked on this, can you look at it? You don't feel like, I don't want to slack, I want to work on it too, because someone else is pushing for the same cause. And you want to do that as well, because it reminds you why you're doing what you're doing. And um, the third one is probably very mushy, but Davin. <laughs> it's not as very true. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so um, I think it's something that the both of us stand for and speak up for very, very passionately and it keeps us going, right? And um, I don't think we would be who we are without each other. And that keeps mental act going. Because, you know, you know you're not in this alone. You're in this with someone who's as passionate as you. And that that keeps you going. Mm. <laughs> That's yes. beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Any last nuggets of wisdom for the people tuning in? Mm. We have been through a pandemic. And just like how many people have said, and we all have learned... There is a lot that we can take away from the current global crisis that we are in. But I think as much as finance, um, job opportunities, um, progress and all is a concern, our stability as a human being on earth is a very large concern. Because if we don't look into our mental health, there is nothing that we're chasing for. There really is nothing. If our mental health is not stable, we can't chase for our financial stability. We can't be there for family. We can't be there for social life and activities. So always put yourself first. Mm. Check in with yourself. Be real with yourself. Be honest with yourself. There's really nothing to be ashamed of. You know, just like how you would quickly get on it and identify a lump on your body. Right. If you realize in the past week you're just not holding up, speak. Speak to someone. Speak to anyone. Right, And uh, people will be there for you, surprisingly. There are people who want to hold space. You just have to go out and reach out to them. And uh, if you're on the, end, on the other end trying to hold space for someone who needs help, hang in there because you are doing them a huge I wouldn't even say favor. I think you're you're great for what you do. It gets hard. It gets hard to be a caregiver. It gets hard to to hold space for fam friends and family. But it is rewarding to see someone 
turn their life around in front of you. It's rewarding. And um, you're doing great. So that's my few things to say. And I also want to say, um, if there is anyone who needs help, mental actors here for you. You don't have to be Indian. I'm going to emphasize that. If you need, um, just pick up the phone and call us or you can text us. Our hotlines are 9776-9067, right? 9776-9067 or 9619-3531. 9619-3531. So these are our 24-7 crisis hotlines. People can contact us at any time. Um, we are also very accessible on, on Instagram. We recently started a TikTok page. And we made a couple videos. But Instagram, we are almost on our DMs all the time. So mental underscore act underscore SG. Anytime, we are there for you. That's all. Thanks a lot for sharing, Misha. Thank you, Nicole. Hope everybody who's tuning in will have more courage, I think, thinking about their mental health in 2021. I hope so too. I really do. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.